Well, hi there. Welcome to the Baseball Lifer podcast. This is Don Wardlow, your Baseball Lifer in residence. This is episode 20 of our show, and we got a good one today. I've got a couple of guys here from the Detroit area. Their show is called Michigan and Trumbull, and they were kind enough to ask me to come on their show, and I agreed to have them on ours. Before we get to today's show, I just want you to know that next week, there's going to be a special Hall of Fame edition, and our guest is going to be Jeff Idelson, who used to be president of the Hall of Fame at Cooperstown, New York. So he will appear with us on the next Baseball Life for Podcast. For now, if you keep it where it is, you'll be able to hear from Alex Freeman and Luke Chaconis of the Michigan and Trumbull Podcast. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, and my two guests are the hosts of a show called Michigan and Trumbull, and if you're not from the Detroit area, Michigan and Trumbull was the address of Navin Field, Briggs Stadium, best known to one and all as Tiger Stadium. Michigan and Trumbull was the in the earliest home of Bennett Park, the Tigers played there mm-hmm. before Navin Field was ever built. And so these guys have the Michigan and Trumbull podcast. They are Alex Freeman and Luke Jaconis. And guys, welcome. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Glad Don. to be here. Yeah, thanks, and man. Appreciate it. Surely. And Alex, if I can start with you, tell me about your uh, background in baseball and otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have a lifelong Detroit Tigers fan. Um, certainly something that I get from from both of my grandmothers um, who loved listening to Tigers games on the radio um, on a summer's day. And um, and yeah, I mean, and then I I sort of like I actually played lacrosse as as an athlete, um, and so I did not end up playing baseball during the spring season, but I uh, fell back in love with baseball kind of as I started moving away from home and starting to feel homesick and uh, watching and listening to the Detroit Tigers was a way to connect back to back to home. Where do you live now? Uh, now I'm in New York. I live uh, about a 20 minute walk from Yankee Stadium. We've been so far hearing from Alex Freeman and Luke Jaconis. Tell me about your baseball journey. Yeah, mine started from a, a very young age with with the game of baseball in general. Uh, my parents, you know, I played it as a kid, t-ball, little league, all that stuff, and I really wasn't into it all that much until my dad started coaching me. Uh, I believe it was fifth grade. He started coaching me in Park District Little League uh, baseball and whatnot, and then I just kind of got hooked from there. Um, I ended up playing from t-ball to high school, so you know, twelve-ish years in that ballpark, give or take a couple of years or summers off here and there. Uh, my love for the Tigers came into play. I, I ironically enough, I'm not a, a native Michigan person. I'm I'm from Illinois, the Chicago suburbs. Um, and I was a diehard Pud Rodriguez fan growing up. He was my favorite player. Um, and he played at the time uh, in 03 when the Cubs were playing against the Marlins in the um, in the playoffs. Everyone at school was all Cubs, Cubs, Cubs. And I guess I just wanted to be that one person who was different. And Pud was on the Mar- Marlins and it just kind of worked through there. Marlins obviously go on to win the World Series that year in 03, and then the very next season, uh, Pudge signs with the Tigers in the offseason, and 
uh, from there, the rest was history. And then once he got traded to the Yankees, I believe in 08, by that point in time, I was pretty well ingrained in the game and was really taking an interest in it, playing it, watching it. And I know I didn't want to be a Yankees fan. Sorry, Alex, on that one. Sorry, Don, you said you're a Yankees fan too, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so sorry to take a shot at you there, but didn't want to be a Yankee fan. So I thought, you know what, I think I'll stay with the Tigers at this point. You know, I'd kind of grown to love a lot of the other players on the team. And uh, many years and a lot of heartbreaking seasons later, here we are still still repping the old <laughs> English D. O3 was very special for a lot of reasons. Both league championship series were tremendously exciting. The Yankees, of mm -hmm. course, beating the... Red Sox, hooray, with Aaron Boone hitting that home run in game yep. seven, 12th inning on the other side of it. And this is the side you'll remember, Luke, and that's game six. Is the Cubs should have had enough of a lead, but mm -hmm. a Steve Bartman foul ball, as I recall it was. Mm -hmm. And didn't that just turn everything around? Yeah, you know, what's funny about that is, and you're, you're 100% right, Don, the, everyone always remembers from that the Bartman incident, but what a lot of people sometimes tend to gloss over or forget about is, I think it was an inning after, before, I don't remember exactly where it fell within the game, but Gonzalez made that error at shortstop, and that was kind of like a, a tied turn that I don't think a lot of people like to talk about. I think Bartman got the shaft on that. I mean, any, I mean... I know he was a grown man and stuff like it's some little kid who doesn't know. So maybe he should have a sense of the rules, a little bit of the understanding of the situation, but any, anyone who's in that situation, regardless of it's game seven of the world series or the first game of the year, anyone's going to be excited when they see a foul ball coming their way. You know, it's just kind of, it's in our, it's in our human. I was at a spring training game two weeks ago. Those games mean absolutely nothing, but anytime a foul ball even got somewhat hit close to our vicinity, your ears kind of perk up and you get kind of excited because it's like at the rush of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So Bartman kind of got the, the shaft into the deal a little bit on that. I think a lot of people, you know, just like to kind of gloss over that Gonzalez error, but uh, it is what it is. That's, you know, it'll always go down as the Bartman game. And that was that, but that was the last time, you know, realistically speaking, Marlins were pretty competitive that year. And obviously they go on to win the world series in 03 with that team. And uh, yeah, then when Pudge went to Detroit, like I said, that was, it, it was a done deal for me. I was pretty much married to the mob at that point in terms of being a Tigers fan. On the baseball lifer podcast, talking with Alex Freeman and Luke Jaconis and guys, the story about, my broadcast partner and myself is we met each other in college and we broadcast in college. And when he wanted to become a professional, he asked me, you know, would I accept the challenge? And we were partners for 12 years behind the microphone. Now, for the Michigan and Trumbull podcast, how did you two come to know each other and how did you come to decide, hey, let's do a podcast? Yeah, I can take this one. Yeah, I can co it's especially cover uh, at least how we know each other. Uh, so I yeah. was in grad I was in grad school at Western Illinois University while Luke was in undergrad. Both of us in the theater department, um, running running in uh, you know the early years as much as the same circles as anyone in the same department does. But then sort of towards the the end of our time there, I started dating one of Luke's dear friends, and then Luke was also in a couple shows that I directed, and so that kind of like blossomed the friendship further and then uh one day um in early 2020 we were all getting together at a, at a friend's house and we were in the basement and kind of just threw out you know what we really should start a podcast and we went okay yeah let's actually be serious about it so we can we can talk talk baseball more regularly and then that led us to faithfully starting a, a baseball podcast in march of 2020 which uh 
left us with so much baseball to talk about when we when we got that podcast rolling. What I miss, Luke? Yeah, That's... no, we uh, yeah, we the only thing I can think of is I mean that's exactly right. We met in college and you know mutual friends and whatnot, but. On top of the 2020 with COVID, obviously, then we had the pure delight of the 2021 or no, 2021 <laughs> was normal. Then we had last year that we had the lockout in 2022, right? That was, was that yeah. last year already the lockout? Yeah. Lockout was 2020. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we had a COVID year. Then we had a regular year. Then we had the lockout year. So yeah, we've gotten off to some interesting starts. So if, if history repeats itself, this year should be a pretty tame year then it would seem. So, but look out next year, who knows what's going to happen yeah, next year? Who knows season. what's going to happen? <laughs> it's going to be brutal. I've heard a couple of the Michigan and Trumbull podcasts. One I really got a kick out of was one you did last fall where your highlight was keep them or cut them, as I seem to recall the name of it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And it was talking about the the Tigers 40-man roster as it stood at the end of the last baseball season. And you went over as if you were trading baseball cards, keep them, cut them, keep them, cut them. And I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that was uh, that was something we kind of just cooked up going into the offseason. We usually admittedly kind of take a break during the offseason because obviously there's just not baseball happening. And if you follow this particular Tigers offseason closely in any capacity, this past one, they did virtually nothing. So there really was really nothing to cover this past offseason. But, yeah, I'd have to go back and listen to that episode to see how many of those guys that we cut are still around or vice versa that we kept that are now cut. But um yeah, I know there was a lot of if I had to put money on it, I think there was more cuts than keeps. If I if I if I had to think about, it. but maybe again, maybe not. I don't I don't really remember exactly. Do you remember Alex off the top? Or did we cut more people or did we keep more we, people? We cut quite a few. The only one who I think we kept that was uh, cut was Jamer Jamer Candelario. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It was the only one who were like maybe one more year with Jamer and and the front office yeah. disagreed. But I would rather they disagree in that way than keeping some of the guys around that had run their course as Tigers. Yeah. Now there's a couple of names on the Tigers roster who are around, haven't been cut and shouldn't be cut, at least not yet. I don't think it's time yet for the two names I'm about to mention. And both, interestingly, both guys named Spencer, Spencer Torkelson (laughs) and Spencer Turnbull. And I wouldn't cut either one of them just yet. What do you guys think about those two guys for 2023? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, for for Cork, um, I mean, he's, you know, I know he had a he had an abysmal rookie season offensively. Everybody knows that, you know, but Alex and I said this a bunch on our show last year, as bad as he was on offense, he was always pretty solid on defense. And on top of that, the entire offense was just atrocious. So it's not like he was the one kind of, you know, so to speak, nail in the road that was like just coughing everything up and getting in the Tigers way of actually being contenders. Everyone was bad on offense last year. Um, so I definitely think he, he is the future. Um, I, I, you know, I think he's got to work on some stuff with his mechanics and a swing, but who am I to really judge? I'm not a hitting coach, just someone who watches the games and talks about it and do a microphone. But I definitely think you got to keep torque. And then Spencer Turnbull, um, I think his, the sky's the limit with him as you know, the only thing I hope doesn't come back to bite cork is the 2019 season. Cause they pitched him and they pitched him and they pitched him, uh, until his arm, you know, literally fell off. So he's coming off Tommy John last year and he's back healthy this year. But I, I agree with you hundred percent, Don, you got to keep both those guys. I made a really hot take on our show about Spencer Turnbull in that I think I predicted he would have a better 2023 season than Justin Verlander has this year. And I, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to double down and stand by that statement. <laughs> that's oh that's going to be really worth watching. I'll tell you Verlander 
he's he's not human. He's he's and the the way I yeah. say that, oh, yeah. the way I say that is the way they used to say that about Nolan Ryan. How can mm-hmm. you do the things that Nolan Ryan did a generation ago and that Justin Verlander has continued to do even post Tommy John surgery and now edging to 40 and beyond? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun, fun season um, for for Justin. It's going to be a fun season for for the Mets um, with their with their pitching staff, if they can keep those guys healthy. Um, I think it's going to be a, a a monster of a rotation, and uh, then there'll be Spencer Turnbull, who they'll wish they had in their rotation. Yeah, it's hard to imagine how many pitchers the Tigers used to have mm-hmm. that have done so well since they left Michigan and Trumbull. They 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 don't have Max Scherzer. That's just for one. They no longer have Justin Verlander, and I think there were others who. Oh who yeah, Rick I don't Porcello, have the names. Yeah, Doug Fister. That's that's the. You know, that's the the hard part of being a Tigers fan, among many things. But if you look back on, you know, those teams that they had, those rosters in 2011, 2012, and 2013, mm-hmm. you know, they made some pretty deep playoff runs a couple of years. They obviously got swept by the Giants in 2012 in the World Series. But to come up with nothing to show for in terms of bringing home a trophy to Detroit through the course of those three or four years is pretty brutal, especially not only when you look at the pitching side, but the offensive side, too. I mean, just those guys that had the lineup. I mean, you had Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder, Victor Martinez. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, the lineup was stacked. And uh, unfortunately, it just came up short. But, uh, you know, it's kind of kind of how it goes sometimes being a Tigers fan. We're used to it. Let, let me put yeah, it that and way. And then they, in that in that process, got themselves tied up into some contracts that uh, yeah. then, then forced them to move on from some of that pitching mm-hmm. staff uh, as the field, as the fielders were not were not working out and i you know i choose the word fielder uh specifically um as prince's contract was particularly egregious yeah that man might have made more money not not playing baseball than he did playing baseball he's still he's still cashing checks and he's not playing baseball he's 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 not quite bobby bonilla day but who knows maybe 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 soon another guy i meant to mention earlier and i i overlooked him but um riley green is another tiger for for this year and he appeared uh-huh. last year and and looks like really being good stuff if they can build around a couple of these parts that they already have i got the chance uh, a couple weekends ago i was up i think we talked about this when you came on our show don i uh, went up to uh hammond stadium where the, the twins do spring training for twins tiger spring training a couple weeks back and Riley Green was in the lineup and I was so excited to get to watch him play because I had yet to see him play live. Um, and he had a he laced an RBI double, I think it was, into left field. And then he had a long, 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 hard, loud out to center field um, that looked like it was going to go, but just died right at the warning track. But he just I mean, you know. I know it's easy for anyone to be kind of be the sideline coach or the sideline scout, you know, watching someone take a couple at bats during spring training. But and I know this sounds cliche. He just looks like a baseball player. Like he just he's you. He's just going to be something special for many seasons to come. And you're 100 percent right, Don. They now need to use Riley Green uh, and build around him. I always use the kind of the term on our, our show of, you know, uh, constructing puzzle pieces to then make the overall puzzle. And Riley Green is 100 percent 
you could make an argument, I think, depending on the puzzle piece you surround him, he could be the whole puzzle. I think that's how good he has the potential to be, both offensively and defensively. He's just a he's an absolute freak. He's gonna be phenomenal to watch for all these years to come. And for for as much as both Luke and I have complained about uh the the lack of moves in this offseason, I do think that the this roster is currently constructed in a way that we will we will really quickly know what we have in a lot of the young talent on this roster of how much can they compete and really what is what is missing um which then the what we don't trust ownership to do is then go do something about the thing that is missing mm-hmm. but i think we'll get the answer pretty quick um because there are definitely a lot of guys um that have the potential to be the kind of stars that you build your team around riley green being the prime example of them and then um in the farm system as well there's there's a lot of good good talent coming up from double a and triple mm-hmm. a on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, my guests, Alex Freeman and Luke Jaconis of the Michigan and Trumbull podcast. And this question is particularly for you, Alex, because you said to me before we took the air that you were the one member of this panel who got to go to a game at Michigan and Trumbull at Tiger Stadium in 1999, the, the last year of Tiger Stadium. What was your impressions of that game that you went to at that time? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly look back on it um, super romantically because it is the the new new stadiums are very nice, um, but they they don't compare to the way that the stadiums of that era were. Um, you just like walked in, and it just it feels like history. Um, that you can just you can just like sense that some some magical moments have happened here, um, and you know you go to like Comerica is a beautiful park, um, but it it doesn't feel the same way. It's a, but it's a nice place to watch a baseball game, um, and and I I feel so so fortunate that it was a, a priority of my parents to make sure that my sister and I went to Tiger Stadium before they tore it down um and and got to watch a tigers game in that stadium and, and we we have done that um i have been to every detroit sports stadium that has existed in my lifetime with the exception of little caesar's arena i have not yet been to little caesar's arena but i don't think i'm in any any big worry of them tearing that one down anytime soon and is that the one for the reds uh the red wings or the pistons yeah red uh both the uh, red wings and the pistons play there oh they both use uh that arena yeah they're both back they're both back downtown everybody's everybody's downtown now um, i recollect when the red wings played at joe lewis arena and it seemed to me like they tore that arena down in an awful big hurry it had only been built in the late 70s if i remember right yeah they tore it they tore it down um this probably eight years ago nine years ago at this point is when they when they moved over to little caesars but i mean that was also um you know, uh, the the modern arenas are are fun places to watch hockey. Uh, but there was something about the the like barn style construction of Joe Lewis Arena that felt historic. And you know, the historic angle was always my angle when it came to Tiger Stadium. Listening to ball games from there, even when I was a kid, when the Yankees would go into Detroit, the sound was so great. You know, the booths were, the broadcast booths were right behind the plate, as I recall. And even before digital audio, which came around after 
Tiger Stadium was torn down. The sound was wonderful from games broadcast from Detroit. And really, even with digital audio, the games from Comerica, the crack of the bat and the pop of the catcher's mitt are not as clear as they were from Tiger Stadium 40 years ago. You know, I mean, just even like look at uh, the just the newsreels of like the the roar of 84 and uh, the championship season in 68. Like you watch you watch that that video and you hear that audio and it just it just sounds I don't know. There's something there's something so like that's when you understand that baseball is American as apple pie. Like that's when you like listen to a radio broadcast from Tiger Stadium. It just you just feel the Americana. There's a change in this. It, oh, uh, Luke. No, I was just gonna say. I obviously I never had a chance to go to Tiger Stadium. I, like I said before we started recording, I've only ever even been to Comerica once. But the history that that place has, and just the Hall of Fame resumes of guys that have played in there, both for the Tigers and everyone that came to visit, it's just it's impressive. It's impressive. And uh, Alex is right. I think it's it's kind of that when you think of like that old school baseball mentality of like, you know, these kind of, I don't want to sound too cliche, but like these kind of like historic baseball cathedrals, I would definitely say Tiger Stadium, just based off even, you know, any basic research you do, it's always, I feel like up there in terms of some of the most historic stadiums ever in terms of the game of baseball. Well, it's even kind of what's like disappointing about uh new Yankee stadium. And I, I know that opens up a big can of worms because most Yankees fans were unhappy with new Yankee stadium. Um, but like you, you go into it and it like, it feels like a cheap replica of old Yankee stadium and it's not as nice amenity wise as many of the new stadiums that were built. And so it just, it feels crappy without any of the history. And do you know, Don, Don, I have a question for you real quick. So obviously you called a ton of games and stuff or, you know, was there a particular stadium that Alex and I have stadium conversations all the time on our show because we love going to new stadiums and experiencing them and all that stuff so I'm going to kind of kick it to you is there a particular stadium that you always enjoyed going to as an announcer or a broadcaster etc or even as a fan that you always like enjoyed going to like to and you know get to experience the games is there one that comes to your mind that's at the top of your list because Alex and I have this conversation all the time about our favorite stadiums in the game both past and present definitely in the minor leagues Interestingly enough, I got a chance to broadcast from Old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. There was a a situation, the AA Orioles, uh, they were supposed to build in Bowie, Maryland, and the stadium was a year and a half late. So Bowie needed to play somewhere, and they made a deal with the Orioles. They were allowed to play in Baltimore in Old Memorial because Camden Yards was up and running by then. So as a minor league broadcaster, this was an incredible opportunity for my broadcast partner and myself. And both of us had a taste for the historic side of baseball. And we're up there, we're, we're, we're walking around the press box and he says to me, you know, Mel Allen broadcast here and Ernie Harwell broadcast here and all the great American League names we could think of broadcast at Memorial Stadium. Now, Major League, uh, before we turned pro and became minor league broadcasters, we got to go to Yankee Stadium, Shea, Vet Stadium in Philly. We got to go to Fenway. We did one game from there. 
I got a chance to go to Wrigley later after I'd become a professional. At the end of one of our minor league seasons, I went to Wrigley. Fantastic. One amazing, one-of-a-kind experience. But all my best major league memories from being a fan, bringing the tape recorder into the stadium, is at 161st Street and River Avenue in the Bronx. And that's the house that Ruth built. That's where my major league memories are. Nice. That's awesome. I lived, um, I can't speak to obviously, you know, old Yankee stadium, but I lived for a little while up in when I was obviously from Illinois, but in Chicago itself, I lived on Clark and Waveland. So I was right by Wrigley field. So if I had tickets, I could literally be in the stadium in my seat with about three minutes. That's how close I was. I, would sometimes watch games in my living room and then it'd be a delay on the TV and you would hear the roar of the stadium, like something like someone hit a home run, the crowd goes wild. And then 10 seconds later on the TV, someone would hit a home run. So yeah, I, I get that. That's it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool atmosphere there. I must say. Now, Don, you bring up Babe Ruth and I feel like we'd be remiss if we had Yankees fans and Tigers fans together, if we didn't say uh, uh, who, whose side are you on as the best, greatest baseball player of all time, Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb? The Bambino, no question about it. <laughs> because even when the Bambino was a bad boy, as he often was, it was this he was so lovable about it. You could you could forgive him the nasty things he did. Where Ty Cobb, it's it's a lot more difficult to to just write it off. He was not lovable in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, we, we regularly uh, asterisk when we bring up Ty Cobb on our show. They're like, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to defend Ty Cobb as a human because that is literally impossible. Um, yeah, but great as a ball, ball player, player, questionable human. Yeah, talent, yeah. talent speaking, he was a witch, to, as oh, yeah. Jim, Jim Rome <laughs> would would say. Because I mean, he hit three sixty seven for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. You know that that speaks for talent right there for incredible talent. You know, one of a kind talent. And Babe Ruth, yeah, he hit 714 home runs. He also had a lifetime average of over 340. So he wasn't like one of today's hitters who would have 200 strikeouts, even though he might hit 50 or so home runs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, there's a there's a great Ty Cobb quote uh, from when he's like later in his life. Someone asked him how he would hit against the the pitchers of today, and he said, ah, probably like. 250 but you got to remember i'm 50 some odd years old now yeah that was the the georgia (laughs) beach for you yep on the baseball lifer podcast don wardlow here with luke jaconis and alex freeman from the michigan and trumbull podcast and you got a chance to see some spring training baseball in person where i've been listening to it on the radio of course and what do you think about the rules that we're going to see in 2023 for the first time? The clock, especially more, more than the larger bags, more than anything else. What do you guys think about the clock? It's funny you you bring up the the new pitch clock. So when I was at the game a couple of weeks ago, uh, I mean, obviously you notice it when you're there because there's this big uh, clock ticking down in center field from 15 to zero or 20 to zero if there's runners on base, whatever the exact time frames are. But I hadn't really noticed anything about it um, until I think it was the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, Jose Cisnero was pitching for the Tigers and he, he had a pitch clock violation and he had a runner. He had, he had the batter at three and two and he had a pitch clock violation. So the batter got to take a, 
take first base. And that was like the first time I was like, oh my God, I forgot that. Yeah, that's a rule now. He took too long. So the the, the batter gets to take first. But other than that, I really didn't, um, you know, dislike it too much. Alex and I sometimes go back and forth on rules we like, we don't like, things that are getting changed, things that probably should be changed or should stay the same. But the pitch clock one for me actually isn't one that I, I don't mind it too terribly. I don't also mind long baseball games, so I'm kind of indifferent on it altogether. But I will say the game uh, I went to a couple weeks ago, I want to say the final was 6-2. to two. Uh, So by no means was it a pitcher's duel, but it wasn't a slugfest either. And we got out of there, I want to say, in two hours and 20 minutes. So like, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that, that's like going to a movie on a Saturday afternoon at this point. So like the pitch clock definitely, you know, made a difference uh, w- without question. But yeah, to me, not a huge deal. And, the, you know, the base is getting bigger. That wasn't a big deal either. Um, you know, they're just they're adding things to change the game, whether that's good or not. It's not really for me to say I have my opinions on some of them. But in regards to the pitch clock, I, I didn't mind it. I will say um, I was fairly indifferent to the pitch clock until I watched um, some World Baseball Classic over the weekend where there wasn't a pitch clock. And I was suddenly I'm very pro pitch clock because after watching some spring training um, and like that pace of play having picked up just a little bit and then going back to to not having a clock and these guys kind of like really taking a lot of time in high leverage situations. I was like, get a move on, throw the ball. Let's go get back in the box batter. Um, and so I will say after after having that kind of like side by side comparison, I'm I'm very pro pitch clock. And one thing we're going to all have to remember is that with or without a pitch clock, the guys are still going to need to get the ball over the plate. And the the hitters will have to be encouraged to swing at some of these pitches and not hold out for walks, strikeouts, or home runs. There's, there's got to be more to this game. And there's and there's the other rule too it, it, for batters. I don't know what the exact time frame is, but they've got what is it like seven seconds to get into the box after calling timeout or something like that. Otherwise, they get charged a strike. I know there's. Um, yeah, so there, there's there's some other things there that's going on. Like if the if the if the batters are stalling and the pitchers are ready to go, I don't I have to look more into that. I know everyone's been really harping on the pitch clock. But there's a bunch of kind of little minute detail things that are that are being brought into the game. Um, pitch clock, like I said, I'm kind of indifferent on it. Don't really care. Um, I could rant for about an hour, Don, about the new extra innings rule because I'm not a fan of that. But that's uh, that's for another day, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The they still. The, Batters are still going to have to swing, pitchers are still going to have to pitch at the end of the day, so just get the game going. And I do agree with you, Don, that I would love to see a return to small ball. Um, mm-hmm. where, and, I, and I especially think that you know, with the banning of the shift, we'll probably see a little bit more of that um, because guys will feel like they can they can maybe spray it around a little bit more and they're not going to hit it directly into the shortstop standing 12 feet on the other side of second base. Um, so so we'll see. I think it'll be it'll be a very interesting baseball season coupled with um the the world baseball classic having happened these guys a lot of these guys will have been playing competitive baseball mm-hmm. a lot sooner than than they were normally so i think we're going to see a really exciting april may this year and, you and know, in regards to alex's thing about the uh the shift i think he and i are both hoping and praying that sometime in this season we see miguel cabrera try to lay down a bunt for a base hit i think that would make us very happy <laughs> You've been listening to the Baseball Lifer podcast with Alex Freeman and Luke Jaconis. And guys, thanks a lot for joining me on the show. Absolutely, Don. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Don. You're the man. Back in a minute. 
if you keep it right where it is. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. That was a lot of fun. That's just as if the three of us were down there at Michigan and Trumbull in Detroit and having a beer and watching the Tigers lose another one. And as we pointed out on the show, you never can tell. They've got Riley Green, they've got Spencer Torkelson, and they've got Spencer Turnbull. You never can tell when these guys are coming into their own. You don't know that with any team until the new season gets underway, which it will do on March 30th. And talking about that, the next show that we release, which should come out on Friday, March 31st, is going to be our special Hall of Fame edition with former president of the Hall of Fame, Jeff Idelson. We'll have him on the next show, which will be available March 31st, wherever you get your podcasts. So for today, this is Don Wardlow. Come again next week. This is the Baseball Lifer Podcast. (laughs) Thank you.